0: And welcome to Tapeheads. I'm Sean, and I'm Lindsay. Tapeheads is the program where we discuss. Well, I suppose it's more of a podcast <laughs> than a program. Uh, Tapeheads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, then we talk about it. Unfortunately, we took kind of an extra week off this time.
1: Thanksgiving holiday, guys. Thanksgiving
0: holiday, blah, blah, blah. Not really. (laughs) Yeah, we were mostly just lazy. Lazy and depressed.
1: Not been a great couple of weeks, guys. So, uh,
0: for posterity's sake, we're recording this on November 27th, 2016. On our previous episode, Beauty and the Beast, which was earlier this month, um, we are full of vigor and hope and life, dreams, dreams, and and I and I in my giddiness, uh, in my naivete, uh, said that we would be doing Tom and Huck as our next episode, which is, um, you know, essentially
1: it's a celebration of young life and we didn't really feel like celebrating life so i ended up suggesting to sean that maybe we should watch something else that better fit our mood
0: um after the events of november 8th tom and huck just felt like an inappropriate choice for just kind of the mood that this nation is in the mood that we're in so i selected something a little more fitting for this moment. And that is uh, 1979's Mad Max, a post-apocalyptic thriller in which uh, <laughs> Mel Gibson's Max Rockatansky, who uh, along with his team of cops, fights a band of uh, roving biker marauders. No trailers on this VHS, unfortunately. It's one of those good times tapes. It's a low budget, kind of exploitation-y movie out of Australia. Directed by the great George Miller, who would go on to direct uh, all of the other movies in the Mad Max series, The Road Warrior Beyond Thunderdome, and most recently, the critically acclaimed Fury Road.
1: One of the actors from this film went back to Fury Road, correct?
0: Yeah, the main villain, uh, Toe Cutter, can't exactly pronounce his name, Hugh Byrne. sorry if I'm botching that, but... He plays the main villain in Fury Road as well, so it's kind of a nice callback.
1: But as a new character. As a new
0: character, yeah.
1: Sean, you pointed out this is a tape that was released by Good Times Entertainment, and they also did the Halloween 2 tape that we had watched on another show, and I think maybe a few other of our tapes. But anyway, they were known for doing really inexpensive copies. They would use a format that was just lower quality to give people cheap tapes. They were also known for doing a lot of fitness tapes and stuff
0: they'd sort of market things as if they were disney titles but they weren't (laughs) they were sort of like a lot of knockoffs
1: i had some of those Disney titles
0: yeah so i would say that good times didn't necessarily put out a great product but they did put out some very good movies albeit in not very high quality even by vhs standards one of the most striking things watching Mad Max on VHS is, or this copy, is all of the voices have been dubbed over with American accents.
1: And not that well.
0: Not that well. Even Mel Gibson in the original version had an Australian accent. He was born in the States, but he grew up mostly in Australia. And he was uh, a baby-faced 23-year-old when the oh sun came my out. Only
1: 23? He looks so young. He's so
0: young. and uh, Before he
1: had any inkling of being an anti-Semite.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have very complicated feelings about <laughs> Mel Gibson because... <laughs> so many of his roles including this one i love so much martin riggs in the lethal weapon movies and i think he's a very talented filmmaker and i think that he has a lot of interesting ideas about uh filmmaking and acting and storytelling at large but uh he's also a deeply troubled person with some also some very troubling ideas and attitudes
1: it's really a shame because he showed so much promise and such a really wonderful career and then he just ruined it by being kind of shitty
0: yeah it's it's tough a lot of times i can separate the the man from the performance i think it's easier in these older films i can watch this and lethal weapon and sort of make that distinction but
1: it's kind of like a before and after thing like before we knew and after we knew yeah
0: but even we recently saw what women want which was 2000 (laughs) and even that i could sort of see like this other sort of creature starting to creep in and he looks (laughs) like Mel Gibson and talks like Mel Gibson, but there's something else going on there. Oh man. Although I don't think he really had his full meltdown until, what was it, 2005, 2006?
1: Something like that. But you don't just suddenly have those views out of nowhere. It's
0: true, but I think that he's pretty good in this and he's great in the follow-up. Uh, the road warrior.
1: Yeah, but there's definitely a reason that he wasn't invited to do a cameo for Fury Road.
0: Yes, yes. So this is the first film directed by George Miller.
1: Who was a dentist?
0: Uh, No, he worked in an emergency room. There
1: we go. And he he
0: saw all these brutal traffic accidents come in And I guess at a certain point, he just decided to himself, hey, I could make a movie about this. (laughs) Made a very interesting career move, and I'm really glad that he did. Are you familiar with these films at all? Had you seen any of the other ones in the series?
1: I know my parents are fans, but I actually haven't seen any of them. I was kind of bummed that, I mean, I understand we have to watch the VHS version, but I was kind of bummed that I didn't get to see the version with the Australian accents because the dubbing really was distracting and kind of flat.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big appeals of this movie, this is my first time seeing it with the American dubbing, although it's notorious and I definitely heard of it. One of the biggest joys of this movie is just how the villains are not like these real tough guys they're more like these kind of monty python like kind of silly characters that are also capable of like extreme violence they're almost like like the droogs and clockwork orange or something like that they're very silly and their voices and the way they behave are very silly like there's extended scenes of them like partying on the beach with like a Mm -hmm. blow-up doll and just doing all this weird stuff eating ice cream and things that you wouldn't normally see like a tough biker gang doing and that all kind of falls flat when they're dubbed with american accents
1: so i actually really struggled with the biker gang because they were almost a little too silly but then they were so threatening and when they were being threatening i kind of was i could believe it but i just didn't understand their motivations because it was It seemed like the the point of it was that they just were chaotic and wanted to create pain and chaos and trouble in this world, and that was the only sort of thing driving them. It didn't feel that three-dimensional to me.
0: Yeah, I think that that's such a careful balance between being threatening and sort of silly and it works in the australian dub um and for a long time this american dub was the only one that was available i think it was only until the dvd came out in the mid 2000s that you could see this version in the states but it was an unfortunate decision i guess they just thought that american audiences wouldn't want to hear australian voices but it's very it was a very odd choice i wonder
1: if they had theories about the audio quality maybe of the original and they thought a dub would be clearer
0: well this is even the version that was theatrically released in america Uh, okay and so i almost feel like they're sort of playing to the cheap seats and thought that the drive-in crowd probably they're sort of pandering to to to, you know that audience but i feel like they Mm -hmm. wouldn't have really cared
1: yeah i just because we watched some clips just before recording of the australian dialogue and it seemed very clear Mm -hmm. and very understandable so i don't really see it And, and American audiences have watched British films with English accents and all that stuff and didn't seem to have a problem.
0: The plot of this movie is fairly simple, although it's uh, complicated just because it's sometimes hard to follow.
1: I had a lot of trouble following the story, but I think it was also because I kept getting distracted by the dubbing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a little hard to get a hang of this world because it is post-apocalyptic, but a lot of institutions are still in place. It isn't like the other movies in the series where it's completely broken down. We still have cops and lawyers and towns and it's clear that there's a shortage of gasoline Mm -hmm. but it it hasn't completely gone away and it isn't being used as a currency as it is in other films.
1: Yeah and I guess that's the other thing that didn't really work for me with this is I, I know it was probably impacted by their budget they just didn't have enough to afford to create a really detailed world but because it was kind of only partially committed to this other, this kind of new apocalyptic world. I didn't really feel it. It didn't seem like they had really done much to it, so it still felt like our world and like the world of 1979, and it could have been any biker gang in any small town. and I just didn't, I kept wondering why didn't they just have kind of a contemporary setting? because it seemed like they could have reworked the same story and made it work for a contemporary setting. Why apocalyptic?
0: I think they really wanted to make it apocalyptic. They just didn't really have the budget to make it as fully realized as the sequels are. Because
1: mm-hmm. in the sequels from the clips that we were looking at, the sequels, it's really well developed.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that George Miller wanted to have this idea of like tribalism and... You know, the motorcycle gangs and these cops that are just barely hanging on to what semblance of like law and order there still is left in this Mm -hmm. world. And it just doesn't quite work because he didn't quite have the budget to do that but uh i still admire the effort and i oh yeah i I mean they they clearly put a lot mm, of effort into it i think that the vehicles and the costume design help sell that it's this other sort of otherworldly place and what i sort of equate it to is like the evil dead versus evil dead 2 basically mad max is almost like a glorified student film and what sort of got george miller going so that he could do the road warrior which is a bigger budget, more complete vision of -hmm. this world.
1: Okay, I can see that.
0: So the plot is pretty much um, this crazy uh, joyrider named the Knight Rider, which is a name you'll hear about a hundred times in this movie. He's killed by Mad Max, and a bunch of the Knight Rider's associates, uh, other gang members, come into town, led by the Toe Cutter. And they start uh, wreaking havoc and sort of taking revenge at the cops that killed the Knight Rider.
1: Killing people, raping people. Yeah. Your general pillaging.
0: After this reaches a certain point, Max and his family kind of decide to just, you know, take a break from it. All the carnage has sort of made them weary.
1: Well, he had wanted to resign from Mm -hmm. the MFP, the police force, but he was told, just take a vacation
0: yeah so he takes a vacation and of course the gang is able to find him kill his son uh put his wife in a coma i mean
1: they they brutally run this woman and her child over with their motorcycles because she smashed an ice cream in the leader's face
0: yeah well respect is all you got in the future of australia
1: i guess oh she did knee him in the crotch that's true I guess she deserved it.
0: And from there, it's a pretty conventional revenge movie. I'll beat kind of an anticlimactic one. It's interesting how the leader of the gang, Toe Cutter, gets killed off so quickly that I didn't even register that that was him that had been killed. No, we were
1: both totally confused and hadn't weren't clear on how many people had died or that He had pretty much killed off the entire gang, but one He being Mad Max.
0: Yes. And then the big uh, kind of finale of the movie is reserved for a younger member of the gang who kind of was the most, I want to say, reluctant, especially with the more violent aspects of the gang. And it was weird that he got this... Really intense uh, sequence where he's has his ankle handcuffed to the, a wrecked car, and Mac sets it on fire and gives him a hacksaw, almost like a uh, precursor to Saw, <laughs> telling him that uh, he's got a better chance sawing through his ankle than the than the steel of the handcuffs.
1: Yeah, this was. A weird one for me, because I kind of, I would have been more satisfied if he had done this to Toe Cutter rather than this guy, because this guy was crazy, and he participated in the murder of his wife and child, but really, Toe Cutter was the one that you wanted to see suffer, and we really didn't get to see his death at all.
0: Yeah, it was really over like that. He slams into, I guess, the fake front of a semi-truck.
1: Yeah, yeah. They paid
0: this semi-truck driver $50 for them to drive a motorcycle into the front of it.
1: But he was afraid of damaging his truck, so they had to create a fake front to put on the truck. So if you watch the scene, you can kind of see that there's this overlay on the front of his truck. I was a little thrown by how they decided to spend some of their time in this film. Like... They don't really tell us who the old woman is that they go and run off to when they're taking their vacation. They stay with this woman. We don't really know who she is, why she's significant to them.
0: I think that she's a friend of the family. But we
1: get a long beach scene... Yeah, Two Long Beach scenes, one with the wife and one with the gangsters that don't really do a lot.
0: It does feel like they're padding out their runtime to get to 93 minutes.
1: They, we don't really know how the bikers figure out where they are. I don't know. It seemed like there, there were some threads that were left unexplained that kind of bugged me. And I wish they'd given us more information.
0: I, I sort of agree that they spend a lot of time on sort of silly things.
1: Like Goose sleeping with the singer, they spent quite a bit of time setting that up where they, I feel like they could have done it in a little bit simpler way. I think
0: the best way to describe sort of my feeling about all this is it's a future world in which there's absolutely no exposition. You're just sort of thrown into it. There's no line like, oh man, this gas shortage has caused society to collapse. And I almost kind of like it for that reason. The only way that you really know that this is the future for certain is there's a subtitle that says a few years from now at the beginning. Yeah. and Which in itself is almost like as little exposition as you can give.
1: Yeah, and I know there are some films that give you way too much exposition, like the Lord of the Rings series, for Mm. example. So, I mean, I, I can respect them for wanting to pull back and kind of show us a little respect that we can follow them in the film, but I was a little confused.
0: Yeah, I think things become clearer starting in the second one. They commit to this post-apocalyptic world much, much more, in part because they have the money to do so.
1: Yeah. You know, I just realized, like, one of those films that has a ton of exposition about the world is Harry Potter, but it doesn't really bug you because Harry is discovering this world with you.
0: Yeah, there's really no way into this world because everyone's been living in it. Yeah, but you get the sense that society is crumbled and it's basically anarchy and what remains of this australian highway patrol and uh just these gangs that exist out in the world at large i do think that the way that they portray the family is pretty interesting just all these interesting non sequiturs like she's a saxophone player and they, is she
1: a professional saxophone player, or is she just playing at it's home? It's
0: never made clear, and I like that their baby is named Sprog, and like, they're a weird family, and it could just be that that's the world they live in, like, maybe Sprog was yeah. the most popular baby name that year, and we just don't know, but I don't know, a lot of the family stuff did feel perfunctory, and the second they show up on screen, I don't know about you, but just knowing revenge movies from the 70s i knew they were goners like they were just basically there to motivate the revenge part of the film
1: see i didn't know it was a revenge movie so i guess i didn't really figure out that they were gonna die until they were driving off with the old lady in the van trying to escape and the van stopped Then i was like oh they're gonna die and mel gibson's gonna have to get his revenge yeah but going into the film i didn't know that
0: I think that all of the Mad Max movies have pretty simple plots and they hinge mostly on the visuals and kind of what goes unspoken. I mean, this is true of even the newest one. It's basically one long chase sequence, but it works because the world is so interesting and the characters are so unusual. I don't know. I think maybe the problem with this one is... Again, there's sort of a bare-bones plot, but the world just isn't that much different from our own.
1: Yeah, because I was also wondering how well realized you felt the characters in the film were... Did you really feel connected to Max and his wife and child and Goose and all of those guys?
0: Um, not especially. I remember enjoying this movie much, much more when I saw it with the original Australian audio. I think that really makes a big difference when empathizing with these people, because all I could think of were just the, you know, Americans in the audio booth dubbing for all of them.
1: Well, and sometimes the tone didn't match the expressions on their face. Like you could there was it wasn't it just didn't feel like it matched super well.
0: Yeah, even Mel Gibson who's dubbing himself here, even that felt a little hollow to me.
1: I think it's challenging because with animated films, they really get to perform in the audio booth because they're not having to match what's already on screen because what's going to be on screen hasn't been created yet in most instances. Whereas with this, the people that were doing the voices are confined by what they can see on the screen and there's not really any chance for them to kind of have any leeway to really put in a fully developed performance and so we just really lost something like i think i would have liked it more if i had seen the original audio too but i honestly have no idea because this is the only version i've seen
0: yeah it's difficult for me to say i mean i think that there's such archetypes and uh there's such one-dimensional characters that the short answer is no but i think that i don't really watch a movie like mad max for those things necessarily yeah yet at the same time i know for a fact that in road warrior and fury road i definitely empathize with those characters so maybe that's just a skill that george miller hadn't really developed this early in his career and he was much more focused on the visuals
1: yeah that's a good point it's kind of interesting to see i I, i'm curious to see the sequels now just to kind of see how they progress and how that compares
0: Yeah, I actually haven't seen Beyond Thunderdome, the one with Tina Turner. I
1: just love that they have Tina Turner as the bad guy in that.
0: It's an interesting choice. I've heard it's (laughs) dreadful, but I would like to make my own decision about it. It it
1: looked kind of bad. Road Warrior looks good, though.
0: Oh, Road Warrior is good. And I think that that's part of why I like this one so much, is just I know kind of where it's going. And I know that this is sort of the first step towards what will become the Road Warrior and what will later be Fury Road. Like, I feel like I appreciate this mostly for just its cultural significance and sort of getting that sort of film going. And I think the Road Warrior especially is a post-apocalyptic movie that kind of informed so many other things like steampunk and a ton of other things, good and bad. I mean, I think its influence just can't be uh, overstated.
1: Is this for you kind of like a Halloween 2 where you appreciate it because it sets up the next film?
0: Um, not quite, because
1: Halloween... You think we... it has more significance? I or? think it
0: has more significance because, it, had this movie not existed, none of the other ones would have, whereas if Halloween 2 had never been made and they just did Halloween H20, then I don't know if that series would have been devastated necessarily. Um, Whereas this, I feel like this is a crucial sort of first building block. And and not to mention that this is launching George Miller's career and Mel Gibson's career. I think that if this film had not happened, we would have uh, been robbed of some very interesting entertainers.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. When you put it into the context of filmmaking in general
0: so maybe more historically important and culturally important than uh in the moment this is a great movie important okay i also think that this and especially the road warriors sort of feel like westerns in a way
1: Oh, I can see that. And
0: those are also films that don't necessarily have the deepest character development. This is the guy with the black hat and this is the guy with the white hat and very much like Stranger Comes into Town and just very broad stroke storytelling.
1: That makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. I I think that's a great comparison because <laughs> it makes like I can I can um feel like it helps me understand the motivations and the influences of this film too there's no way that he wasn't watching westerns
0: yeah and the second one is even more like that because it's literally you know a hardened sort of gunslinger finds redemption by helping this village against a gang of bad guys which is the plot of a lot of westerns
1: well sean it's about that time do you buy it rent it or tape over it
0: i'm gonna give this one a rent it definitely do not watch this american dub and definitely do not watch the good times vhs if you can i think that most copies available i think if you were to rent this on demand it would be the original australian audio don't quote me on that but definitely if you got it on dvd or blu-ray i think that it's an important movie and it uh led to even more important movies Lindsay.
1: all right this is for this specific VHS copy (laughs) with this specific dub I'm saying tape over it but possibly I don't know maybe rent the other version
0: this is rough with the American dub I'm not so sure that I would give this a rented if this is the condition that I first saw it in
1: yeah so I'm gonna say tape over it for this particular edition
0: You wouldn't think that it would make a big difference, but it definitely does. I think that in a movie that's so kooky and so all over the place and little sight gags all throughout the film, for it to have this very sober, very one-note dub, it just kind of robs it of its kind of wackiness that the series would come to be known for.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like I need to see the original to really make any verdict about the film itself because I don't think this is really the best way to see it.
0: Just starting from the very beginning with that Knight Rider character, I mean, he's this high pitched like crazy Australian man and he's talking about how he's a fuel injected suicide machine and he's just nuts. He's out of his mind, but in the American dub, you don't quite get that. Like he just seems to just be angry.
1: (laughs) He just kind of angry, and I just didn't understand what was going on. And just looking at comparison clips online, I definitely missed something.
0: I will concede that if you were a big fan of the newest one, Fury Road, then you could probably just jump right to Road Warrior because that's like uh, I think that's a much closer relative and sort of plays in a, a closer world than this one. But if you are if you really want to go to that next level, you should check out the original to see kind of where it all began. On our next episode, we'll be kicking off the uh, holiday season proper. Mm-hmm. It'll be December. Yep. Last year, we did two great Christmas movies, Jingle All the Way and Die Hard. Well, <laughs> maybe one great Christmas <laughs> movie.
1: Yeah, only one, Die Hard.
0: Yeah. So uh, you're kicking things off this year. What are we watching next episode?
1: To grandmother's house we go. The great Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen classic.
0: Oh yeah, got those Olsen twins back on the show. I'm excited about this because I I always saw the ads for To Grandmother's House We Go on our copy of Double Double Toil and Trouble growing up.
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: they always sort of went together in my mind like, oh, they did a Halloween one, but they also did a Christmas one. Yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure I haven't seen this film in 20 years.
0: Wow. And this is a year before So this is their very first film together.
1: Yes. Full length feature
0: film. Full length feature film. I believe so. All right, I'm going to predict that there's a lot of ads on this VHS tape. This
1: could be a ton, and it's going to be pretty much almost every ad that we saw on the Halloween tape.
0: My prediction is it will be the exact same lineup of ads as Double Double Toil and Trouble, which means you'll get about eight to (laughs) to your tally. Because
1: these were made for TV movies that were released on VHS later, probably around At least at a similar time. So they probably, more than likely, they've got the same ads.
0: Well, I've said it before. I mean, if we ever want to just do a spinoff podcast where we just watch Mary-Kate and Ashley films, I'd probably be okay with that.
1: Sadly, we'd run out of films after not too long.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and we'd be stuck with some of the real dregs by the end. Oh, God, like that New York
1: Minute Minute one. (laughs) Of course we both think the New (laughs) York Minute. That's bad. Actually,
0: I haven't seen that, but I have heard it's really bad. I've seen it. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can listen to more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash
1: You can learn more about us and our podcast at tapeheadspodcast.com. We'd also love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. And you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com.
0: That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. <laughs> and I'm Lindsay. Until next time.